Greetings. Welcome to Believe in the Power of You podcast with Andrea Joyce. I am your host, Andrea Joyce, and I'm the author of Seeing Past the Storm, 31 Ways to Self-Care, and 5 Steps to Overcoming Unforgiveness. You can find all three of my books on my website, andreajoyce.net, Amazon, and Barnes & Noble. Believe in the Power of You helps us look within ourselves for the power that's already there and allows us to work on bringing it out to help us to fully walk in purpose. We discuss things, whether it's emotionally, physically, spiritually, mentally, financially, or relationally. We touch every area of life so that we can fully walk into purpose. I'm excited this week because we're really getting into it. We were talking a few weeks ago about love, the four seasons of love, and I've had a lot of feedback on that podcast. If you have not tuned in, you can find it on my page. Please listen to that, the four seasons of love. Today, we're going to be talking about life, and we're specifically looking at slowing things down. Life is not a microwave. You can't have everything right now, hot and ready. Let's go. Let's get it. I want it now. I'm impatient. It has to happen right now. We have to determine that the things we want and the things we need are a process. Everything is a process. Though there may be shortcuts, though there may be detours, though there may be speed bumps, barriers, it's still a process. And if you do it the right way, you will walk into great results. Don't cheat yourself out of a great future and a great purpose fulfilled. Be mindful of where you're going the tools you need to get there, and give yourself time to get it, okay? So after the break, life is not a microwave. Greetings and welcome to Believe in the Power of You podcast with Andrea Joyce. I'm your host, Andrea Joyce, and I'm excited to speak with you today. Well, so the name changed. Because it was Straight Talk with Andrea Joyce. And I noticed while talking with you and sharing things with you that I wanted something a little deeper than just straight talk. I wanted to also uplift you and empower you. I wanted you to know how great you are and how much you're necessary and needed in the world. And as I took time to work on it, I began writing a new book, which will be coming out in 2022, Believe in the Power of You. And as I began writing it, I saw more and more how that's my mantra. That's what I stand on. I want you to believe in the power of you, the power that's already in you that may have been quenched, silenced, ignored, pushed to the back burner. I want that power to come out. I want those goals, those dreams to be accomplished. I want you to have good success and many victories. And so I'm glad that I have this platform to talk with you and share with you 
on you how to ignite that power that's in you, how to uplift you, how to encourage you, and how to empower you so you can get those things that you may have forgotten about or you think that you can't get because of circumstances and situations or what people said to you or the things they didn't say or the support that was lacking. So in spite of all of that, in spite of what your bank account looks like, in spite of what people have said to you, in spite of even your doubts and fears, I want to push you and propel you into your purpose and to be successful. And when I say purpose, I'm not just speaking about a business, a company, a corporation, a foundation, an initiative, um, a ministry, a book, a song, an album, a career. I'm talking about holistically. I'm talking about in your relationships, in your health, in your finances, in your spirituality, every part and every facet of you, your mental, your emotional awareness, health. Yeah, I want to be able to help you in all aspects. And so believe in the power of you is going to reach out weekly with different areas that affect us and may be holding us back from prospering. We are going to fulfill purpose. We are going to fulfill destiny. And it is my honor to be on this journey, to be on this ride with you. So after the break, we're going to dig right into Believe in the Power of You with Andrea Joyce. Welcome back. So life is not a microwave. Here's the thing. We want to accomplish our goals. We want to be successful. We want to have that victory. We want to finish things. We want it right now. Microwaves have conditioned us to taking a meal that may have taken four hours, two hours, and compressing it because of the heat and serving it in two minutes or 15 minutes. We have gotten conditioned to doing things quickly. Even though we still have 24 hours in a day, just like when we were young, before there were microwaves I'm talking about. So I'm talking to my older generation who may remember a time that there were no microwave ovens readily available in homes. We just had stoves and ovens, conventional ovens, and we would put meat in. The meat would take time to bake or broil or whatever it was going to do. It would take hours. Remember Thanksgivings without microwaves, even though we would never, ever put a turkey in a microwave. But I just want you to remember, remember they would put that turkey in the oven And it would be like 10 hours, 13 hours, 8 hours, depending on the size birds you had. And so Thanksgiving dinner usually didn't begin until after 2 o'clock. Some households, maybe 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, depending on what game was played on the television. But we all were aware that for Thanksgiving dinner, it was going to take a lot of hours. So go ahead and get you a good breakfast, have a nice snack. And where I'm from in Jersey, we had a Thanksgiving Day game. 
So we would go watch the game, show off our new outfits that our, you know, our parents gave us money for. We were working and bought, show it off at the game. Even though it's two degrees outside, we sit in there like it's 100 degrees outside. Then we would go back to our house and then everybody would gather together and either have dinner at our house if our house was the central location or we would go to our aunt's house or our grandmother's house, wherever the big meal was to take place. And it usually happens after two o'clock. That was our conditioning, not just for Thanksgiving, but for meals in general. Remember coming home from school as a youngster, we would come home, first thing, change out of your school clothes, wash your hands, wash up, put on something different. And you would come in And nine times out of 10, the first thing you would do was get a snack. Why get a snack? Because your parents were working on dinner, whether it was your mom, your dad, your grandmother, your aunt, your cousin, whoever it was, they were working on dinner and dinner took time because of the oven. So you would make yourself a sandwich, um, yeah, that's usually it. That, that usually was what we had. Or if you had like um, ice cream or cookies or cake or whatever it was, you got yourself a small snack. Then you went and did your homework. And if you didn't have a whole lot of homework, there might be some time even for you to go outside and play with your friends before your parents called you to dinner, which usually was about six o'clock. Maybe some people had dinner at five, maybe at seven, but it was essential time and the family would eat dinner together, right? So things took time. When the microwave was developed, first it was huge. Everything I noticed that gets created is big first, then it um, shrinks and then it might get big, but not as big as the first prototype. Before microwaves became a household must-have item, we took time and life was slower. Now, I'm not blaming this on the microwave. I'm talking about a mentality. Because we knew that things took time, we didn't press the issue. Just like we didn't have cell phones that we walked around with back when, we had house phones. Now, if someone had a car phone or a cellular device, (laughs) that was rare and it was expensive and it was a luxury. They didn't spend all day and night talking on it. And surely there was no texting back then either. So if people wanted to call you, they had to dial your number, whether with the dial pad or the rotary phone. Remember the one that goes depending on what number and God forbid, if you misstepped and pressed or pushed, not pushed, but dialed the wrong number, you'd have to hang up and all over again. And so you learned, or we grew up with patience. You had to, if you wanted to talk to Johnny, You had to wait for Johnny to be at home because this was even before voicemail. This was before um, call waiting and three-way calling, call conferencing, call forwarding. None of that was available then. These are the days I'm talking about. And I know my younger generation who's listening now are just like in shock, like what in the world? 
Ask your parents to pull up a picture of what the phones used to look like, of what stoves and ovens. Well, I mean, they're basically the same now, but definitely the phones that we used to have. Here's the other thing. Because there was no call waiting, that meant if you called someone and you got a busy signal, you were not able to talk to that person unless one of two things happened. You had to wait for them to hang up and get off the phone or you called the operator and had the operator break through the call so that they would know you're calling so they could hang up. Phone services cost money. It costs to call someone, so you didn't stay on the phone all day unless it was a local call. But if you lived in another city, another town, another state, it was called toll dialing, and it cost money for you to make that call and stay on and talk to someone. So you didn't have four-hour conversations with someone who didn't live in the city you lived in. Otherwise, there would have been a huge fee. I'm painting a picture here. Stay with me. I was born in the 70s. This is what I grew up with. And so we had to wait. We had to take our time because we couldn't force anything. There was no sense in trying to rush a meal because the ovens cooked at the oven's temperature. So if it took 20 minutes to heat up a roll, You had to wait 20 minutes for those rolls to be heated up. There was no cheat sheet. There was no shortcut. There was no getting around it. If you wanted to talk to someone on the phone and they weren't home, you had to wait until they got home. And if you wanted to talk to them and they were on the line, you had to wait for them to get off the line. Because even if you did an emergency break, that didn't mean they were going to hang up. Trust me. I was one whose mom, when she was on the phone and someone, someone would try to do an emergency break, she would finish her conversation no matter how long it took, no matter that the person said, this is an emergency, I need to break through. And you had to wait for her to get off. My aunt was the same way. She talked on the phone a long time. Thankfully, it was to local people because her phone bill would have been astronomical otherwise. What I want you to understand for me bringing up these examples is that we grew up in a time where we waited. We grew up in a time where we followed the process and we allowed the process to take its time. Took however long it needed to take But this was the process. This is what we had to do. Fast forward, the microwave was introduced to the household. You could now buy this machine that you could put food in and it would take five to 10 minutes to cook as opposed to an hour or two hours in the oven. Imagine the, the awe that we felt that we no longer had to wait this length of time to eat something. So now the snacks that we were getting upgraded. We no longer had to have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Now we could have a burger because it could be cooked in the microwave and take the same amount of time to cook 
as us preparing our peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We could make fries in the microwave. So we didn't have to wait for the oil to get hot and for us to pour the fries in for them to cook. Or we didn't have to wait for the oven to heat heat up and put the fries inside of it. Mind blowing. We now had telephone systems at the house where there was call waiting. So you could be talking in a deep, serious conversation and a beat would come on and you click over and you're talking to someone else. Not only that, they have party lines. So if I had three-way calling, you had three-way calling, and someone else had three-way calling, we could essentially have nine people on the phone. And so our minds were blown with the possibility that we no longer had to wait. Then with the dawn of cell phones being smaller and not needing this huge case and not having to be in our cars, we could actually walk around them. We began being able to contact people when they were not at home. We can contact them as long as they had service because when cell phones first became easily transported, there was cell, uh, cell towers, just like now, but the system definitely wasn't as up-to-date as it is now. And you could call people, and it was like mind-blowing. But then when the ability to text came into play, you didn't even have to talk to a person. When texting first came, I remember I had a Nokia, and you would go, if you hit it three times, you get this letter. Um, one of the keys, you hit another key two times, you'd get another letter until you spelled out the word you were trying. Now it took time, but it was so much faster to send a text message and cheaper because then cell phones cost during the daytime. You had free nights and free weekends, but there were no unlimited plans back then. (laughs) When we were first introduced to these phones that we could carry with us, 9X, um, I can't think of the other one because I used to work for 9X. That's why I can um, list that one easily. Is another one, Cellular One. When we were introduced to these compact systems, it was easy to... And that's me trying to spell out hello. So you did that and a message went through for a less cost than you sitting on the phone talking to someone during the daylight daytime hours. Now, you know, if we go present day, we understand phones are totally different. You can do everything on a cell phone that you can do on a personal computer, laptop, iPad, um, tablet. You can do it all from your phone. You really only need your phone unless you want a bigger screen. Then you do have your tablet, iPad. Then you do have your laptop, your desktop, you know. But you can really create a lot. The transition from things taking time to having things instantly and things being more convenient changed our mindsets. It didn't just have to do with what we were eating and who we were talking to and the different products that were coming out because of it. Our our mindset shifted also. Our mindset now became, I can have it now. I no longer have to wait. 
If I don't have to wait for my food, if I don't have to wait for a phone call, if I don't have to wait for a message, if I don't have to wait for the heat because I now have central air instead of a radiator, if I no longer have to wait for mail to come through the post office because you can send me an email, I don't have to wait for anything. So why should I have to wait for my purpose? Why should I have to go through the process of being successful? Why should I have to go through the process of being victorious and moving in purpose? Why do I have to wait? I no longer have to wait. Things come easy now. It's quick, fast, and in a hurry now in every other area. So that needs to happen with my life and my life's purpose. But here's the thing. Just because society and the world sped everything else up, God is still who he is and he has set your purpose. I know you don't want to hear it, but it's true. If you look in the Bible, there are so many scriptures that say, wait on the Lord. Wait. Don't be tired of. Be patient Take time in his time, in his time. So what I'm saying to you is the person who created your purpose has not sped up. (laughs) Just because society and the world has, he hasn't changed. Well, Andrea, why are you bringing that up? Well, because he set your purpose before you even came here. Before you were in your mother's womb, he knew your purpose. You were sent for such a time as this. Have you ever asked yourself why you're here in 2022 and you were not in 1922 or you weren't in 1022 BC or 1022 AD? You are here at this particular point in time Because you are here to fulfill a purpose that's happening now. Whether you are newly fresh from your mother's womb or you are 80 years old or 90 years old or 100 years old, the mere fact that you're here means that there is still purpose within you. There is still something yet that you could be doing. Even if you've accomplished a million things, there's still that one thing because you're still here. Don't ever think you've exhausted all possibilities of your purpose. Never think that you're too old to accomplish something. I remember having a conversation with my mom who was a registered nurse for over almost 40 years. Truly, let me think about that. Yeah, almost 40 years. She was a registered nurse and she retired and she should because it was a hard, it's hard work. My mother had a heart for nursing. I don't. She can do all the things that nurses can do. I can't. I can't stomach it. I have the heart for people. I'm empathetic. I, I cry for people. I want to help them. Cannot do it medically. I can pray for you. I can encourage you, but I, I, I cannot take your blood. <laughs> I'll faint on the floor first, trust. But she had the heart of a nurse, the heart to heal, the 
the heart to take in all the procedures that had to be done. She worked in several different areas of the hospital. She had to be in the room when the doctor said, I'm sorry, your loved one is not going to make it. Or I'm sorry, your loved one has passed on. She's been in the room where they're operating and doing the different procedures. She's in the room caring for people long-term and, and wiping the filth off of them and changing their sheets and making sure they're fresh and smelling good and hair done. She did all of that as a registered nurse. God bless my mom for that. You have to be called to that. There are many things. Honestly, you need to be called to your profession, your career, your business, your purpose. There are certain things that sound good, that may be interesting to you, but if you're not called to them, your heart is different. I just think about it. If I thought about the opportunities of the medical field, I could have been in the medical field for that purpose and gotten it all wrong because that's not where I was called to. So be mindful of what you're truly called for. What are you passionate about? What makes you cry? Where are you skilled, gifted, and talented? Can I tell you something? I know a lot of different things. I know how to do a lot of different things. But I'm not interested in a lot of different things. It took me trying things on and realizing they didn't fit. Remember David in the Bible when he went to go battle Goliath? Saul was like, put my armor on. This is the armor I wear and it protects me. And David put it on. It was too big, too clucked, too, too um, klutzy and clumsy. It made him klutzy and clumsy. It was too big. It didn't fit. It was uncomfortable. Everything that could possibly fit you doesn't mean it's meant for you. That's the best way to say that. So just because you're able to do some things, just because some things sound interesting, just because you have the capability of doing some things does not mean that's what you're supposed to be doing. This is why taking time with God, meditating on the word, praying and seeking him diligently, seeking him first before you do anything else is so important. I tried on so many different hats in life, trying to find my purpose, trying to find something I liked. Unfortunately, it took a lot of heartbreak and a lot of wasted time to find out these are things I'm good at, but I don't like them. Can I be honest with you about something? (laughs) I had a conversation with a former employer one time and I was at my breaking point. I had done administrative assistant work for years, 20 years plus. And it was right here at this breaking point that I realized a hard truth. I went to school for office technology administration, got a certificate from the Plaza School of Technology in Paramus, New Jersey, right by the Bergen or in the Bergen Mall, actually. I graduated from there so I could give my child and myself a better life. Her father and I were divorcing and I knew I needed to be able to to have some kind of security. I took the classes, I excelled, I was second in my business school class. I say that because I need you to hear something. I was skilled. I learned Windows when it was a DOS system, D-O-S meaning there was no 
windows the way it is now where you can pull down with a click of the mouse or control F and have file, none of that. We had to put in codes. We had to put in scripting. We had to put in formulas in order to make Word work, okay? So I learned in the dinosaur era of Microsoft Word and Excel, um, Access. I want. I think Access was out. I know I, I was trained on Access. I'm not sure if I was at the school, but there are several programs that I learned in this business college that I was in. I graduated number two in my class. I was point something something away from the valedictorian because of one class that I didn't pass um, with a high grade. I went to work immediately. Before I graduated, I had an interview and was hired on the spot. They had interviewed about 20 people. They only needed two people and she and I were given the call. We were hired. And it was a business that was very interesting. I really wasn't doing administrative, administrative work, but I was. And it garnered a very good salary. I worked there for a while. And then I made the decision to move to Atlanta, Georgia. When I decided to move to Atlanta, it was 96. I did not have a place to stay, a vehicle to drive. I mean, I had a place to stay, I'm sorry, a vehicle to drive. I didn't have a job. I didn't know anybody. I had an uncle who lived here, but he was busy with military and uh, police work. And so I didn't even get to see him maybe once or twice um, in the space of time I'm talking about. And so I moved there and it took a while, but I managed to uh, hook up with a temp agency and get my full-time job through them, permanent job through them as an administrative uh, secretary. I think that was my first position. From that time forward until 2020, 2020, I have had roles as an office manager, an executive assistant, an administrative assistant, a marketing assistant, um, administrative secretary, legal secretary. Um, I think that's it. Now, some of those titles have been repeated. I've been an office manager three times. I've been an executive assistant four times. So I usually, for the most of my career, I worked under the president, the regional manager, the vice president. Okay, those have been my jobs. It's all, or the VP. It's always been someone higher up, right? Okay. My salary <laughs> did not match my skill set, my certification, nor my experience. Not going to go there, but it didn't. And I was very, that was one of the frustrations of life. But at this point in time, when I'm talking to this former employer of mine, I had a reality check. I, it hit me like a lightning bulb, a lightning bolt. I was tired of being in administration that way. I was tired of being an executive assistant. I was tired of being an administrative assistant, an office manager, an administrative secretary, a marketing um, assistant, 
a legal secretary. I was tired of working for other people in a capacity where I'm answering phone calls, scheduling appointments, um, writing letters, editing their letters, setting up meetings, setting up press, setting up events, setting up workshops. Said I was tired of that doing um, um, uh, human resource work, doing salary, um, dispatching batches. When I tell you, I have seen it all, done it all in administrative assistant, in, in the office. And I was burnt out. And I didn't understand until I was talking to her why I was burnt out. Here's the thing. I was skilled to do it. This is why I brought up that I was number two in the class. I was skilled and I had gone to trainings and taught myself and was trained professionally on all of Microsoft Office Suite. And um, I can't think of the other because it was another one besides Microsoft that was out. I had training in all of it. Access, um, just everything. PowerPoint, Publisher. Um, so much, right? I had all of this knowledge as it was coming out. I taught myself before YouTube university, I would sit there and figure it out. So when I went to interviews for a new position and they asked, do you know how to do da, 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 da? I didn't lie. I sure did. I knew how to do it because I taught myself and then I went for official training professionally. So I would be certified in everything I did in hopes to get more money. I was skilled to be in office administration. I did not like office administration. I was tired of answering the phone and having to be the first line of defense for every person I worked for. I was tired of having to figure out things because some of the supervisors I worked for gave me the authority to answer for them. And I didn't want to figure out these complex issues and problems and solve it. And I wasn't being thanked for it. I wasn't being compensated for it. I was making the least money, but had the most responsibility. I had supervisors who worked three hour days. Meanwhile, me and staff worked 10, 12 hour days. My kids grew up at my jobs especially my oldest. She would be, as soon as she got out of school, I would pick her up and bring her to my job. And we'd be there to eight, nine, 10 o'clock at night. And I'm not the only one because there were other um, office personnel that did the same. I was burnt out. But here's the thing that cracked me up about this conversation because I was crying, boo-hooing. I was having a meltdown. For like the fourth time in my life. But I'd never got it before. I didn't understand why I felt such pressure. Why I hated getting up in the morning. Why I drugged my feet. And just barely made it into work on time. Why it took me so long to get focused. Why I wasn't excelling when I knew the work and knew what to do. But I waited to the last minute when I knew I could have done it two weeks ago. I didn't understand why. And she said to me, you're not tired of being an admin. It's what you do. It's what you're good at. 
And I looked at her and reality hit me. I'm good at it, but it's not what I do. It's not what I like. It was a stepping stone to get me to somewhere else in life. But because I got caught up in it and busy in it, I didn't see the signs ahead that said, get off this exit. Okay, you missed that exit. Get off this exit. No, 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 you missed that exit. Come on, I need you to get off this exit. You turn and go back to that exit I told you to go to because I was comfortable in this position. But I had to ask some serious questions. Why was I not getting compensated for my skill and experience and talent? Why was it not comparable with what I was doing? I easily could make $75,000 a year. Can I just be blunt with you all and, 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 and be transparent? I roughly sometimes, sometimes, I think the most I ever made as an admin here was thirty-two dollars or $33,000 a year. That's the most. When the cap, I'm telling you where it is. For the executive level, where I have the talent, the knowledge, the skills, the experience, is at 75. How do I know? Not only did I research it, but I was in position to get a job making that much. The thing that held me back was I didn't have a college degree for that level of where I was going. But I found out what I was worth. Here's where I'm going with this. Life and purpose. Putting on caps and figuring out what fits you, what works for you, and what doesn't. The reason you cannot rush your purpose. The reason there is a process. The reason why it takes time is because you have to be groomed, trained, and given the resources to be effective in your purpose, in your calling, in your assignment. You don't wake up one day and know everything. See, I was supposed to get off the exit years ago, but I missed it because at this point I had given up. This was my lot in life. This was all I ever was going to be. I was going to struggle. I was going to not make my bills. I was going to live paycheck to paycheck because there was nothing else for me. Because every time I went back to school to get my degree, I wanted it, but I didn't want it at the same time. I didn't want to go to college. Can I be honest with you? And it took years for me to be honest about it because my family's expectation was that I be a college graduate because my family is a family of college graduates. But I didn't want school. I was tired of sitting in class and and zoning out because my mind, I am a creative. (laughs) So when you are talking to me about Two plus two, I'm looking at you like, yeah, I get that it's four, but why? Why can't we talk about the beautiful trees that I'm staring at outside and I can write something about them and I can picture this story in my mind? 
That wasn't for me at the time, but I didn't know it. And so I went along with everybody else's plan for my life. But I didn't know my plan for myself. How many of us are caught up in, you don't know what your purpose is. So you're going along in a daily routine because you feel you're stuck. You're in a rut. This is all you're going to be able to do because this is all you qualify for. But if that is you, I want you to take seven days, seven days. Seven is the number of completion. I want you to take seven days to sit, take a few minutes a day, 30 minutes, an hour. And I want you to write down everything you like. I want you to do um, columns, things that you like, things that interest you, things you're talented in, things you're skilled to do, and then what are your passions? A lot of people have more than one passion. We just like to say, what is your passion? We should be saying, what are your passions? Because we have several. And as you sit there and you begin writing and being honest, on the next page, if you can fit that all on one page, all those columns, but I think you're going to need a couple of pages for those columns. Get a blank page right beside it or right behind it. And I want you to write this question. What would I do for free in my life and would love doing it? If I never got paid one penny in doing it, what would I do? And I want you to write that. Write it down. Write your honest. You may have 10 answers. Please don't get stuck on, I just need to have one thing. Write what your heart says. This is not a mind activity. This is a heart activity. What do I mean by that? I need you to feel this. I need you to be honest about this. I need you to examine your heart for this. And after you get all that information, I want you to sit and meditate on it. I want you to sit with God and say, Lord, in these pages, is my purpose here? Did you send me for this? Can I tell you something? And this is, this is not even where I had to go. But this is why life is not a microwave, because it takes time. It takes time to work on your purpose, because first of all, you've got to know what your purpose is. It wasn't for a long time, many years that I knew what my purpose was because I was good in a lot of different areas. Then I had interests. (laughs) Then I had things I liked. But can I tell you something? None of that was my purpose. And I don't even know if I fully know my purpose. I know some things of my purpose. I know one of my purposes is helping other people. But like I use the example of my mother, I know it's not in medical. Okay? So you can have this general idea, but then you need to get specific with it. Otherwise, you could like helping people, but be in the wrong area. And now you despise it. 
See, I love teaching the word of God. I love preaching. I love being able to spend time with God and him giving me a message. And I look at the Bible and I'm like blown away. Like, Lord, that's what you were saying. And then I love that he gives me a practical example to use. So it makes even more sense. Love it. I love bringing people to Christ. I love that. I am an evangelist. However, I learned that I don't like evangelizing the regular way. I don't want to just hand out a piece of paper and say, do you know Christ? So I could have been doing that and I was doing it and I was beginning to despise it because it wasn't what I liked. I was just doing it because I just knew that. But what I learned because of a desperate situation was that I was a writer. Now, I want you to see how this all ties in to knowing what you like, knowing what you're interested in, knowing what your passions are, what makes you cry, what makes you angry, what makes you shake your fist, what do you wish you could change? And then to know if I never got paid for this thing, what would I do? What would I walk in? What would I walk out? It's so important. But when I was homeless with my three kids and I wanted my daughter to have a secure life, stability, I didn't want her to feel like she was homeless, though we were homeless, living in a car, living in a van. I didn't want her to feel like there was something wrong. So when she asked to participate in a stage play, I was like, absolutely, yes. Many of you have heard this story, but I'm using it to give you an example. I was not comfortable with the stage play, the, the where they had rehearsals. I felt it was just, I was under attack. That's what it felt like. Spirits were just coming at me and I just was like, ah, this is not comfortable for me. And she wasn't comfortable either. So I prayed to God and I said, Lord, Can you send, and this is exactly what I said, and I don't want to offend anybody, so I'm telling you now, can you send a Christian playwright? Because I want a playwright that is going to have something to talk about you, that is going to give my child additional information so she'll learn about you. This is before Tyler Perry, or actually, no, it's not. It's right after Tyler Perry. He was out there, but... He was in Atlanta. I was in New Jersey. So I knew I couldn't get my daughter there. So I wanted someone who was local, who was a believer so that my daughter could be, you know, learning about God as she was also learning her lines, being taught in a different capacity, a different way. Because sometimes when we're preaching and teaching the word, it doesn't reach the younger generations. They don't understand because they don't have bills or responsibilities. They don't have that concern. So when we're preaching from that context, we lose them sometimes. So it's helpful to have people who can tell a story differently where the children can get it. And so when I asked God that question, God's answer was not the answer I wanted. His answer was like, okay, you write it. And I was like, I'm not a writer. I don't write. That's not what I do. I work. (laughs) That's my lot in life to struggle and try to find a job and, and try not to live paycheck to paycheck anymore. That's where I am. I'm not a writer, but God wouldn't change his answer. And it was, uh, um, 
a request from my heart. Remember the scripture says God will give you the desires of your heart. Well, the desire in my heart was what I asked God for. And his answer was like, you, you are the answer. And I want to put a pen right there to say some of the requests that you have, some of the, the, the complaints that you have, some of the things that bother you, you're the solution to. You're looking outside and around and everywhere else, but you're really the answer. The answer lies in you a lot of times because here's the thing. God does give us the desire of our heart, desires of our heart. You know why? Because he placed them in there. Some of those desires that you have were placed there by God. So he's going to bless you with them because it's his design anyway. Okay, taking the pen back out and we're moving forward. So I wrote the play. Remember, I gave God three conditions because Andrea is just Andrea and he fulfilled them. He's fulfilling them. He's saying them. As I was writing, here's the thing. I forgot that I was a writer. (laughs) Remember, I told God I don't write. But in elementary school and in high school, I wrote all the time. I wrote short stories. I wrote letters. My mother could tell you about the 10 page when I wrote her, which is not a good thing. Um, I wrote essays. I wrote uh, research papers. I wrote papers that got me in trouble in school because I would question everything. And I had facts and research and papers and it was eloquently written. Oh my gosh. But I forgot. I won awards. I have won awards for my writing and forgot. Because life happened. Life was happening. So I told God, the one who knew me before I was in my mother's womb, that I wasn't a writer. (laughs) I told the one that saw me in elementary school and high school winning awards and writing papers and getting great grades on my writing that I wasn't a writer. The one who was writing short stories and everything, I'm not a writer. This is what I told him. And this is why God didn't move. Because he knew that wasn't true. He knew I was a writer. He created me to write. As much as I speak, I'm an even better writer. So God gifted me with mouth (laughs) to speak and a hand to write. And that's what he called me to do. And when I wrote that first stage play, it stunned me that it was good. I was like, who wrote this? Now, Lord, I know I prayed and asked you to write with me when I wrote this, but this is what we do. We, we good like this. And just to be sure I wasn't seeing what wasn't there, I mailed my screenplay to my mother, my script rather, to my mother. And I didn't even tell her I didn't have my name on it. I didn't have the name of it, nothing. I just said, Mom, can you read this and tell me what you think? And my mother read it, called me back and said, who wrote that, Tyler Perry? And I knew I could write because my mother really loves Tyler Perry's writing. She really did back um, in the day. I'm not sure the last place she saw, but that, that's where she was. And when she found out it was me, she said, so why are you not with Tyler Perry? Why are you not writing plays? Why are you not doing this for a living? This is awesome. This is the mother who was like, get your degree, go to college. I don't care what you major in, but you need to graduate so you can get better paying jobs. 
telling me, why aren't you writing? Why aren't you doing stage plays? This was different because no one in our family walks out really walks in the creativity gene, not that side, not my mom's side of the family. They're scientists and doctors and and, uh, lawyers and counselors. I'm one of the few, my brother and I are creatives. Now I'm pretty sure that side of my family is creatives too, but I've never seen them walk in anything like that. So now on my dad's side, it's totally different. They are creatives. All, every last one, creatives. So I digress to go back. So now there's a new world opened up to me where I can write. Here's the thing. I tried to put myself in a box after this first stage play and write another Christian stage play and it didn't work. And I was like, well, darn it. Now I know I asked for a Christian playwright. And if I'm going to be a playwright, I've got to be a Christian playwright. And here's what God said to me. You are a Christian playwright. You're a believer. You accepted Jesus Christ. That's what makes you a Christian, correct? Yes. And you're writing plays, right? Well, yeah, that's a Christian playwright. I didn't ask you to write gospel stage plays. I asked you to write realistic things that are happening that have a story and a lesson so people can learn. Do you think everybody wants to go to a stage play and see Jesus all day long? Or do you think they want practical help? And that practical help can lead them to praying to me. And I was like, oh. So that's why you'll notice in my writing, I write about any and everything. Relationships. That's really one of my areas is relationships. All different kinds of relationships. Some are godly, some aren't. Some people live together. And I know the the church is like, oh, we're not supposed to shack. Well, my plays talk about everything, but not just plays. God gifted me to write scripts and screenplays, rather, for film and TV. I have shows and film that have nothing to do with the church at all. But there's lessons in them. And that became my passion because what is my number one passion? Helping people. Well, I want to help people with their hearts and their minds. That is a purpose, helping people. But my area is to change people's lives because I know what it's like to be forgotten. I know what it's like to be put on the back burner. I know what it's like to not know your purpose. I know what it's like to not have the resources for your purpose or people always want something from you. They don't want to just help you. They got to get paid for it. They got to get um the, the applause for it. They got to tell the world that they, I've been that person. So I want to help people accomplish their dreams and they don't have to worry about being pushed in the spotlight and talked about, but rather their gifts make room for them. So that's one of my purposes. Another thing that was happening besides writing And remember, I told you teaching and preaching the word. So those are two, right? What really gets my heart are single mothers. 
single mothers having to struggle all by themselves. Even if they have the money to provide for their children, sometimes it's the support that's missing. Sometimes the father isn't around, or if he is, he's sometime, part-time. But what happens when this mother works a full-time job or she's starting a business? So she has to spend 10 hours a day working and she comes home and has to cook and has to entertain the kids and help them with their homework and run their baths. And it's all on her shoulders. That's my passion because I've been that mother. I had three children that were not adults at the time. My kids are 27, 18, and 17 now. Oh, no, no. Oh, Lord, I made them older than what they are. 17 and 16 because their birthdays are this year uh, in March. 27, 17, 16. But they weren't always 27, 17, and 16. They were 11, 1, and 2. 10, 1, and 2. 11, 2, and 3. 12. So I was by myself. I am a single mother. I didn't always have a job. I went to government, the government for help and got the door slammed in my face when we were homeless living in a van because I didn't have a permanent residence. And even when I had a permanent residence because I didn't have a stable job, they were like, well, we're not going to help you now because how do we know you can afford your rent next month? Or how do we know you can afford your electricity next month? Or how do we know you can afford your heat next month? And the doors were slammed in my face. So guess what? I created a foundation calling Helping Mothers Manage, which I will be walking into this year because not only do we need financial help and it's nothing wrong with saying we need help because if we can't do it, we need help. But not only that, but we need physical, emotional, mental and spiritual, relational help. Not just financial, but when a full week passes and all I've done is work, come home, cook, help with homework, get you ready for bed, listen to you, hug you. What about me as a mom? Where is my time to woosah? I can't go get a massage because it costs $80, $40, and I can use that money to pay for rent. I don't have it to spend. Or how about I can't get my nails done so they look cracked and dried and everything because it costs $40 and $50 every two weeks and I don't have the money. Or I may not be able to get my hair done and and get it um, um, pressed or relaxed or twisted or whatever because I don't have the funds for it. Well, that's my passion. I don't know if you know this, but twice... Three times I tried to commit suicide because I was at a breaking point because I felt all alone with no help and the weight of the world was on my shoulders. All I needed was some help for someone to come in and say, I got your kids today. You go take a nap. You go to the park and and walk. You go get something to eat. Here's a few bucks. Go get yourself something just so you could have you time. 
that means something to me. I know what it's like to ask for help and people look at you and say, didn't you just ask me for help? No, I can't help you anymore. Or your problems aren't my problems. I know what it's like to go for help and then tell you no and slam the door in your face and you have nowhere else to turn. I know what that's like. That makes me cry. That makes me angry. That makes me want to do something. So another purpose I have is to help single mothers because it's my passion. It's something I would do if I never got paid for it. I need people to um, be investors so that we have money to do it. But if I don't get a check (laughs) from helping mothers not take their lives or helping mothers not abuse their child or helping mothers not walk away from their families because they've had it, they're burnt out and there's nothing left, I do it. Because that's my purpose, one of them, and my passion. But it took me going through life wearing different hats that didn't fit me, that were not designed for me. It took time for me to go job to job to job to job to get sick and tired of the work I was doing for me to recognize This is not it. This isn't my lot in life. This isn't my purpose. It took time. Life is an oven, not a microwave. You want success now and you can have success. But follow the process. Learn things. There are companies I had to work for, not even for them, but for me to learn how to build a business. And in learning that, I learned things that were right to do and things that were wrong to do. I learned what I would do and I learned what I wouldn't do. I learned how to write a business plan because I worked for someone else's business. See, this was all process. This was all resources. So now I have information I would have never had. If I said, hurry up and give me my uh, purpose right now, success now. I would have never learned it. Process takes time. Success takes time. Your purpose takes time. Instead of complaining because you don't see your fruit yet, work harder to till your soil, work harder to plant those seeds, work harder to water them and to provide nourishment for the seeds you're planting for your future. If you don't know your purpose, please take the next seven days to work on finding out what it is. You are here for such a time as this. The mere fact that God woke you up means there's still purpose inside of you. There's still things for you to accomplish. All you got to do is walk out in them. But first, you got to know what it is. So that's why we're starting here. Learn what your purpose is 
or purposes are. Learn your passions, your interests, your skills. Listen, I didn't want to be an administrative assistant, but guess what? (laughs) When I'm beginning my business, guess what the first person is I don't have to hire? I don't have to hire an assistant because I know how to write the letters and make the meetings, plan the meetings and schedule the venues and schedule the events and schedule the travel. I know how to do that part. So that might be an income I can wait to use, to utilize in my business. And I also learned a lot at the feet of vice presidents and presidents and CEOs and COOs and CFOs. I learned a lot that I would not have gained if I hadn't worked in those positions. But God didn't allow me to get comfortable in them because they were not my destiny. Find out your purpose this week. And when we come back next week, we'll talk further. Thank you so much for tuning in to Believe in the Power of You, the podcast with Andrea Joyce. Seek your purpose like never before. It's time to walk into your passion. Have a great week. I'll talk to you next week.